All right. Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. We have all kinds of things happening at parkhillschurch.com and the Park Hills Church app. We'd love for you to go there and interact with us on any number of things. If you need us to answer a question or talk about something that you haven't considered before, uh, go ahead and find us there and and shoot us an email and we'll, we'll be happy to answer your questions. So, Pastor Alex, hey Chris, we uh, we 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 did judges, and uh, you created the outline for judges. I did. So we, I'm welcoming you back to the podcast. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so nice. So it's nice fun for us to be together. So the book of Judges uh, is a dumpster fire. Is that correct? <laughs> oh yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's the best way to look at it. And I, I, I I've had. You know, I had the privilege of, uh, we started our college ministry off last year kind of with a reboot, and we, we created a little podcast to go with it called the Yamcast. And in the middle of the Yamcast, we, or the first few episodes, we just deal with judges. So if you if you want a more, you know, extensive discussion on this, all of that's there. You can go find it. Uh, we were still filling out our how the podcast works and that kind of thing, but but still, I think you'll enjoy it. It's weird and fun. But I think the big thing that I pointed out in Judges over and over again is there's no redeeming value to the book of Judges. If your life verse is from the book of Judges, you probably have problems. If your, if your character in the scriptures that you most relate to is one of the judges, with the exception of perhaps Deborah. Uh, Ehud's pretty cool. Ehud's cool, but yeah. there's nothing. <laughs> Shamgar, I like that guy. I had a goldfish named Shamgar. There's all these up. fantastic characters. We have like one verse on, and, and Alex is going <laughs> to, Shamgar is his life verse now. Uh, that, that, that passage of scripture is Alex's life verse. The man who, you know, you named a, a goldfish Shamgar. Yeah, I mean, why not? That's, a ble- that's unbelievable. Killed Philistines with an ox code, with like a stick with a rock 600, tied in it. 600 Philistines. Yes. Not just a small amount. Yes. It's a large amount of uh, Philistines. So, yes, it, there's a couple of, of judges that we know very little about. The one that we know the most about who actually is someone that you could like live up to and say, I want to be like that person is, is Deborah. I think Othniel is a good guy, but there's very little about him. Uh, so if you're a char- if there's a character in the judges that you're thinking, that's the person I want to be like, there's a really good chance that you have missed the mark on what judges is really supposed to be. Yeah, I would say the only redeeming value is don't do any of this. <laughs> like, that's a redeeming value in this yeah. book. Here's a good bad. Yeah, it's example. like a seminar on drugs. You know, if, yeah. if I'm at a seminar on drugs, my takeaway is not, I'm going to start doing drugs. Your takeaway should be, man, I should say no to drugs. Right. And say no to judges. That's our that's our banner, our yes. motto. So a quick synopsis of judges, it starts like this, and I'll show you how quickly the dumpster fire starts. Uh, Joshua passes away in the first couple chapters, and I say that because the story is repeated a few times in chapter 1 and chapter 2. There's a, it's a weird situation. But in the middle of that, uh, basically it's described that the generation after Joshua does not do what, what God wants them to do. And then we begin this, this process of the judges just have to save Israel from themselves over and over and over and over again. And even the judges aren't usually individuals that you're looking up to. They're usually individuals that you're thinking, ooh, there's something redeeming about that person and then immediately they're not as redeeming yeah Yeah. so but then by the end of the book and this is where it gets really crazy and you know you'll see the video by tim mackey which will help you do this if you're following along with our bible reading plan 
which if you're not in that, you need to be doing it with us. We, we, need, we want you to read the God's Word all the way through. We want you to read the Bible all the way through. We want you to see it, feel it, experience it. But the video starts with the, this idea, or the book starts with, they don't do what they're supposed to do. And by the end of the book, you've got a bloody civil war and a tribe of Israel is almost completely eradicated, the tribe of Benjamin. Right. So that's the story. And if you're thinking, well, that sounds like it went really bad in a hurry. That's also the story. Basically, Judges is just, this is how bad it gets when everybody does what's right in their own eyes, which is really the kind of the key verse of the book of Judges. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with that said, one of the things we wanted to point out was there's an interesting way that the when the judges redeem Israel, there's a weird phrase that's connected to that. And it really ties back to our Pentateuch podcast and this whole idea of God wanting, uh, you know, uh, posterity and a divine human relationship concept, and then this idea of land. All of that is is totally afoot in the book of Judges. And what it says over and over again is when this judge saves Israel, what happens? There's rest. What type of rest? Not just rest. The land has rest. Look at, look at Judges 3.11. So right. the land had rest for 40 years. Which is a weird statement. Yeah. And look at uh, after Ehud. Chapter 3, verse 30. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. So there's not, it's not just rest, but the land has rest. Right, which opens up this question of what exactly is going on. And there's this curious little verse way back in Leviticus. And if you, uh, you know, if you care, we're looking at chapter 26, verse 34. And it says, the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land, while the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. It will uh, lie desolate. It'll have rest, the rest that it it has on the Sabbaths while you're dwelling outside of the land. So you're looking at Leviticus and you're going, wait, 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 what's going on? And so as we talked about with some of the other podcasts, Leviticus is the law. It's setting up what's holy and what's not. And what God says is, I want you to treat the land in such a way that you're good stewards of what I've given you. If you aren't, I'm going to exile you. And the exile that I'm going to give the land actually allows the land to Sabbath or to rest or to have, you know, this experience of it, it is going to recover from your, your evil, basically, is the idea. Which is weird because that ties all the way back to the flood. The land is not being taken care of well, so the humans have to be destroyed. That's at least part of, of the flood narrative. Then we pull that into the Leviticus here. Then we go forward into Deuteronomy, and it's mentioned a number of times in Deuteronomy. The land shall have rest, the land shall have rest, the land shall have rest, and it doesn't. And now we watch a bunch of Israelites rebel against God. And so God raises up a judge, and the judge brings rest to the land. It's just interesting, and it's a thread that you need to pay attention to because it's going to come up later on, even to the point where in Second Chronicles, when we get to the very end of the Old Testament reading that we're going to do, you're going to see that when the land, when they are finally exiled, the land actually receives the rest that it, it deserved the whole time. And you start to realize this notion that you talked about with the Pentateuch is totally tied in through the entire Old Testament. Right. And what, what's interesting, I'm just thinking about it now, is that the land did not have God's people in it for a long time. Nope. And they come back and Joshua comes in and is supposed to clear the land. Correct. And because of only partial obedience. There's only partial fulfillment of the Israelites coming into the land. So the time of the Joshua and Judges, that's not a lot of years there. No. But the land needs rest. Already. Already. Yep. Like that's, uh, that's a, it's a key theme of Judges. We don't really see it in Joshua. We see like conquest of the land. Correct. But just, just in that short amount of time, 
already yeah. the land is not experiencing the rest that it should. Yeah, think about that. And, and that's what you're saying. I mean, just if you just process that information for a second, you go, whoa. And then after the book of Judges, we're going to be introduced to a, the last judge, who also is a prophet and a, really a just a, one of the tremendous characters of the Old Testament, Samuel. And Samuel's great fear is 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 realized that the people aren't really going to follow God. They don't want to follow God. They want their own way. And so all this craziness blows up into that. And that leads to the kingdom, which then leads to the split kingdoms, which then leads eventually to the exile and God giving the land rest. So if you're going to follow that theme, like you have to pay attention to this right off the bat. There's weird wording used. And instead of just skipping over it and going, well, that's fun. That's boring. If you notice something and you just read and you think, hey, that's strange. Why is it saying the land had rest? There's probably some type of theme that's getting pulled through the entire Bible. Right, right. And it's like we talked about in the, if you've listened to the Pentateuch overview, it's tied to this theme of land because God's promise is tied to land. There's a a physical aspect of Mm -hmm. it that's important. Uh, So that's why the land needs rest. The, The promise needs to be fulfilled in land just as much as it does in the posterity and the divine human relationship. Right. And part of that's because we are spatial dwelling creatures. So we have, we have to contain space in some way, or we have to indwell space in some way. And so God's saying, here's the land. I'm going to have you dwell in it. Now handle it well. And then we pretty much take what God's given us and we, we just make it a travesty and we, it's disgusting. So there's two stories in judges that, that bring up, at least two, oh, there's so many stories, but we wanted to talk through at least two that we didn't cover in the sermon and we aren't able to cover in the notes. So Gideon, uh, some weirdness yeah. going on there. What's going on? Yeah, so Gideon uh, seems like this great guy and everyone's, the people who are like, oh, I just, I love the story of Gideon because Gideon's a great guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm usually like, oh, have, have you read the whole thing? Uh, what's just, what's crazy is, is God brings calls raises up this judge and says hey you're gonna do these things and he, he cuts down some altars of Baal, uh but he does it at night you know he's not really doing what he's supposed to be doing uh and then they like i think they get mad at his dad right or they bring his yep. dad out and yep. they're like the, his dad kind of cal- calms everyone down he's like uh well uh if Baal's real he'll be the one who you know right. punishes gideon everyone's like oh yeah yeah oh that sounds good and then everyone kind of that kind of diffuses the situation right. But then, then there's this fleece incident, and this is one of those things where, like, when people are like, "Oh, I'm putting out my fleece," I, I just, I, sometimes I kind of want to say, "Like, oh, no, right, no, don't do that." Uh, so, if you're not familiar with the story, um, it's it's in Judges chapter six, verses uh, thirty-six to forty, and basically, Gideon doesn't know or tests God really, which is crazy because you would think God would just be like no, don't test me. But Gideon says, you know, I'm not sure if you're going to do this or not. I'm going to, I'm going to put this, this blanket or fleece of this, mm-hmm. this sheep and I'm going to put it out. And if, uh, which one's first, I think it's, if the ground is dry and the fleece is wet, then I'll know that God, you've told me to do this. And, uh, and it happens. And then Gideon comes back the next day and he says, he switches it around. He's like, all right, this time I want the fleece to be dry right. and the ground to be wet. And that happens. And, and God uh, obliges and does that. 
Uh, but guys, this is not an act of faith. Like this is this is not God's design for how we should we should figure things out. And so sometimes we'll hear that even in our our, our day today, people be like, "Well, I'm putting my fleece on. I'm just gonna st- I'm gonna try this, and if God makes it successful, you know, then I'll know that God's with it." And right. or I think God's telling me to do something, but I'm gonna like float this idea or have this conversation or say these words, and if it comes back to me in this way that I expect, right. then then I'll know that God, you know. God's with it. I'm going to, you know, I don't know, give, give some extra money toward this project. And if it works out, then I'll know that God's in that project or I'll, you know, and that's, that's just, it's, it's bad faith is what it is. Yes. And it comes back to our, our our opening point. Don't do judges. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When God tells you to do something specifically, that's what he does to Gideon. And then Gideon's next move is I'm going to test God. And then the next, next day I'm going to test him again. That's not a sign of faith, nor is it a sign of this is how you're supposed to act. Yeah. So just we're trying to be really clear on that. Don't do it. Yeah. All right. But what, what's crazy about Gideon, though, is then there's the right after that, he determines, hey, maybe I should do this because I don't know God's given him like two supernatural <laughs> signs right in a row. Uh, so so they do the attack, but, you know, the, God dwindles down their numbers. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then Gideon makes an ephod. Right. Which is this thing, and he's like, "Hey, uh, actually, we're all gonna worship this ephod now." Like the guy who cut down a Baal mm-hmm. statue and he has these great things from God. Uh, the the end of his story in chapter eight is kind of like, you know, he he did a lot of great things, but the but he also did a lot of really poor things. He does a lot of really poor things, and his legacy is disastrous. I mean, his son. Abimelech does, he's not an actual judge, but he takes credit as being the leader of Israel and he sort of sets himself up. Uh, and he goes after to kill one of his brothers and he finds out he can't. And after, he, by the way, he killed a whole bunch of other brothers first, but the one that he didn't kill is the one that sneaks away and goes, finds a place. And all that ends with Abimelech getting killed by basically a, an ironing pin or a rolling pin. You know, like you, we yeah. kind of, that's how I think about it. You know, in yeah. today's parlance, it'd be like, you know, the, the lady's rolling out some dough and she's like, oh, what's going on down there? Oh, it, and she throws it down and kills him and, and he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at look at chapter 8, verse 27. Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city yep. and, or for, and all of Israel whored after it there. And we'll, we'll pick up that, that theme of Israel acting as a prostitute. It just starts here and ends up in like all yep. of of the rest of the New Testament. But uh, yeah, it became a snare to Gideon and his family. It 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 does. And so Gideon's a bad guy. Gideon's kids are bad people. Gideon's whole legacy. You should be leaving going. Ugh, that's not good. We also, you know, in the sermon we're covering uh, Samson, which is you know, the most famous of the judges, and part of the reason why we're covering him in the sermon is because we're trying to show people how messed up Samson is. But the final story is the most devastating of the stories, right? Oh, it's terrible. Terrible. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tr- try to run through it as fast as I possibly can, and then we'll kind of comb back through it if we need to. But it starts with a, a guy who put himself up as a priest. He is from the tribe of Levi. He's not really acting as a priest, but he acts like he is a priest for hire. And he has a woman that is not his wife, but she is available to him, if you follow my drift there. And he takes her into a town. Actually, he goes to get her. He, she runs away, and he goes to get her back. And as he does so, he takes her to a town called Gebeah. And Gebeah is a little city, a town uh, in the, you know, I say town, but it's a walled, fortified town. So we use the word city when we're thinking of walled and fortified. 
And he goes into Gebeah, and these men go to do something terrible to him, and he pushes out this concubine, this this woman that is available to him but not his wife. And they end up uh, doing all kinds of terrible things, and, and she dies overnight. So the next morning, he as which w- what we would all do if someone and that we were loved, you know, someone that we loved, if they passed away, we would cut them into twelve pieces and send them to different parts of the nation. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if you start to even break the story down from the get-go, you should say, this is weird. This should not be happening. So he sends all all 12 of her parts to the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes then rise up in chapter 20 of, Je- of Judges, and they, they march out to destroy Benjamin because of Gebeah. And it starts really just by them saying, we need Gebeah to come out, and Gebeah won't come out. So then Benjamin comes out, and Benjamin and Gebeah line up, and the rest of the tribes line up, and they basically slaughter almost everybody left from Benjamin, I mean, to the point where in chapter 20, verse uh, 47, but 600 men turned and fled through the wilderness to the rock of Ramon and remained at the rock of Ramon for four months. And the men of Israel turned back against people of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword. So if you're reading that correctly, the tribe of Benjamin is all but wiped out, but there's 600 cowards that sneak away and they're able to, uh, you know, keep the tribe alive. So this terrible civil war, it's disgusting, it's terrible, the tribe's almost gone. But then Benjamin says, well, we don't have anybody left. You destroyed everybody, so we need wives. So the men of Israel say, well, we can't really give you wives. We all made an oath against God, which if you're following the story of Judges, that's not a good move. Uh, making oaths that are bad, are that's a bad move. Jephthah, yeah. Jep- yeah. Jephthah's a kind of the guy you're looking for there. And so they say, we made an oath, we can't give you any wives. So we do this festival where all of our young young daughters dance around the fire. While that's happening, if you want to sneak down and steal a bunch of them and marry them and create a tribe of your own, feel free. And that's the end of the story. Yeah. And I think often, at least when I grew up and was learning about the book of Judges, a lot of it was good. But this end is left off and we forget about how, how terrible things got. I mean, if you just look at numbers... Chapter one, when they're counting all the people, the tribe of Benjamin had thirty-five thousand four hundred people, and now you're down to six hundred. Yep. And so they're like completely wiped out. And well, twelve hundred after the weird stealing yeah. stealing yeah. festival. Yeah, there were there's <laughs> well at one point there were six hundred. Oh, I'm and totally then, with you. Yeah. And then there's this weird stealing festival, and then uh, but I love. I mean, I don't love, but it is such a great summary. The last verse of the book. Go right? for it. Yep. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And you you just clearly, clearly see that here. Like mm-hmm. there's no turning to God for any direction on no. any of this. There's no uh, no judge at this point who can be sought to to seek what what God wants. And so they're like, well, I don't know. We, we need wives now. Oh, we can't do this because, you know, they made this vow. I don't know. There's some girls over there. Why don't we just go snatch them? Yeah. And, and that's it. Like that, that sounds like sounds like a good idea to me. All right, let's go. And that's <laughs> that's what happens. Uh, but what I think is is crazy though about all the craziness of the judges is that you you see these guys and you're like these guys were not great dudes, didn't make good decisions. But you flip over to Hebrews 11, right? This like hall of right. faith, and you get to verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and all the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the power of fire, fire, escaped the edge of the sword, remained strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign, foreign armies to flight. Like, I don't know. How many of those could we really apply to to Samson and, and Gideon and Jephthah? Like, okay, I guess they did some things with swords and mm-hmm. stuff. 
but but somehow somehow they're mentioned here and like hey here are great heroes yeah. of faith which pulls you back to this this big question if you look at Hebrews 11 and you look at the rest of the scripture and you look at how badly these individuals fail over and over again the the message starts to become clear our heroes are not humans right there is a hero that those humans put their faith in even for but a moment you know Gideon he's brave in that story for a period of an hour and and if you read the story closely Gideon does no fighting in the story the 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 Midianites pretty much just kill each other because they're freaking out so bad there's almost nobody left and they all run away then so if you read the story the Israelites do very little of the fighting God does the fighting for them and if you look back at Joshua they do very little fighting. God does a lot of the fighting for them. There are stories in Joshua where, you know, the, the armies are lined up and all of a sudden hailstones fall out of heaven and kill a bunch of people. And you're, you're thinking, man, what a battle. These battles are not to be fought by, by the humans necessarily because they're terrible. They're, they're terrible individuals, but they have faith in the right moment at the right time. And the Lord uses it to do tremendous things. And so even Hebrews 11 is not necessarily honoring their behavior because there's no one in Hebrews 11 that's perfect, right? right? Every name that's mentioned in Hebrews 11, if you dig far enough, you go, ugh. But the point of Hebrews 11 is we have faith in what we hope for. We're right. sure of what we haven't seen yet. Right, and I think a good a good theme summary statement for judges is that God's covenant and his love are unconditional, but his favor is not. Yes. And I think I think we have to recognize that God is still working his plan out in the book of Judges through some really not great things that his judges do. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that's why sometimes we say, oh, Samson was a great guy because, you know, look, he rescued Israel or Gideon did these great things. And we have to remember, yeah, our heroes cannot be people. Mm-hmm. Be, God's going to work out his plan. Uh, we want to be the people who are following him in our experience in his favor alongside his unconditional love. Right. And there's one man that's worth following. Yeah. And we're going to keep pointing out that he's the hero of the story, the only hero that's worth following, right? Right. He's the judge who can give rest to the land permanently. Man, that's better. You can't say it better than that, so say that one more time. Yeah, Jesus is the one who can give rest to the land permanently. And for that, we follow him. All right, thanks for listening.